New evidence emerges that Christine Ford told untruths in her various stories and testimonies related to Brett Kavanaugh. We will administer a lie detector test of our own to see who's telling the truth. Then the New York Times breaks the shocking story that Brett Kavanaugh was a cool guy in high school. Uh, Cory Booker has his immoral moment. Alyssa Milano professes love for a credibly accused rapist. Kanye won't take off the hat. And we talk about sex, baby. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, we got a juicy show today. We got a lot of allegations. We got a lot of lie detector tests, breaking news about Christine Ford. But before we do that, I got to keep an eye on the time because I have got to thank our wonderful sponsor, Movement. Movement. You know Movement. They're that company started by those two college dropouts. Uh, it, they've now sold almost 2 million watches in 160 plus countries. They continue to revolutionize fashion on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. I wear this watch all the time. Uh, this, this one is the Atlas, I believe. The Atlas uh, uh, from the Revolver collection. It is super cool. I, oh, I've never gotten more compliments on a watch than on this watch. I love them. And what they do is if you bought a watch like this in a department store, it would be 300 bucks, 400 bucks, maybe more. Actually, These days, maybe more. Uh, but if you get it online, you cut out the middleman. Uh, the watches start at just 95 bucks. You are not going to beat that anywhere. For this kind of quality, it is superb. Uh, they, they figured out by selling online, you cut it out, you know, the retail markup goes away, you get the best possible price. Classic design, quality construction, styled minimalism. The thing I love about these watches is they've got a kind of old school charm to them, but they're not pretending to be some old watch. It's got a, it's got a modern aesthetic too. Uh, get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns. Go to movement.com, mvmt.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. See why movement keeps on growing. Check out their expanding collection, movement.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. They have a new Rise collection. I don't have one yet. Sure would like one. Just giving you some early ideas for Christmas presents. Movement.com, mvmt.com slash covfefe. So we've got new juicy details coming up on this scintillating Supreme Court nomination process. I know you're glued to your seats to see what shocking new allegation next is going to come up for a milquetoast federal judge with an unquestioned record of integrity until five seconds ago when it became politically convenient. For analysis, we now cut to Senate Democrats. They're so serious, aren't they, those Senate Democrats? They seem, they're such sober, serious people. So the, the, new, the change in the story right now is that an ex-boyfriend, an alleged ex-boyfriend of Christine Ford has come out of the woodwork. They allegedly dated for about seven years. And he, and this isn't just some tabloid thing like he talked to Mike Labanati. This is per a sworn testimony that was just released by Chuck Grassley. Uh, the boyfriend's name has been redacted thus far, but Grassley's vouching for him. Um, he is contradicting a lot of Christine Ford's testimony. He's saying that she and he would fly around all the time on airplanes. She didn't have a fear of flying and she never mentioned a sexual assault to him. Now, this part we know is true. Because initially, remember, Christine Ford said, oh, I can't testify before the Judiciary Committee because I'm, I'm terribly afraid of flying. It's incapacitating. I just don't fly. And then we found out she did, she flies to New Hampshire. She flies to Hawaii. She, that's a pretty long flight. She flew to French Polynesia. She's flying all over the place. So we said, okay, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. She said, well, I'll, okay, I got over it. But I'm afraid of confined spaces. I don't like small spaces. This guy's saying they lived in a studio apartment. It was 500 square feet or something like that. 
He also says, and this is crucial, that uh, he personally saw Christine Ford coach a friend of hers on how to beat a polygraph test. Now, she, she was asked about this on, uh, during her testimony. And so th- this really raises a lot of questions. Um, we will, we'll get into what the woman who allegedly was helped by Ford says in a second. But let's just take a look from that testimony when Rachel Mitchell, the, the prosecutor hired by the Senate Judiciary Committee, hones in on this question, says, did you ever help somebody to take a polygraph test? Here's what Christine Ford says. Have you ever had discussions with anyone uh, besides your attorneys on how to take a polygraph? Never. And I don't just mean countermeasures, but I mean just any sort of tips or anything like that. No, I was scared of the test itself, but was comfortable that I could tell the information and the test would reveal whatever it was going to reveal. I didn't expect it to be as long as it was going to be, so it was a little bit stressful. Have you ever given tips or advice to somebody who was looking to take a polygraph test? Never. Now, when this question came up during the hearing, I think all of us were kind of scratching our heads saying, what is this about? Why? I know she took a polygraph, but why are are you focusing in for three questions on this? Now I think we see why. And there's some weird stuff that comes out of Ford's testimony here. She says, oh, I, I was so scared to take the polygraph test. I was so afraid to take it, but I did it anyway. But Ford's people arranged the polygraph. They paid for the polygraph test. Ford chose to do this. She volunteered to do this. So if she was so afraid of it, why nobody was making her. It was just her own people doing it. Then she said, oh, it took so long. I felt like I had told my whole life story. It just it took so long to administer the polygraph test. Polygraph test was two questions. Actually, the guy who did the polygraph test, who administered it to her, said, oh, yeah, it was a friendly polygraph test. That's why, you know, if this were a hostile polygraph test, if we were prosecutors, there was a criminal or investigators or something like that, then it might have been a lot longer, but two questions. So, okay. That doesn't seem very long to ask two simple questions. Then uh, she won't give us a lot of details about it. They asked her, when did you do the polygraph test? Did you do it on the day of your grandmother's funeral, day after, day before? She said, I don't remember. Well, how do you not remember? It was like a few weeks ago. How could you not remember that? Now, to to be fair to uh, Dr. Ford, uh, her friend who the ex-boyfriend alleges Ford helped to pass the polygraph test, Uh, Her friend denies all of this. The woman's name is Monica McLean. Uh, She said that she's never uh, been helped by Dr. Ford. Uh, But the boyfriend does say this, quote, Dr. Ford explained in detail what to expect, how polygraphs worked, and helped McLean become familiar and less nervous about the exam. So now we have a he said, she said. By the way, McLean signed a statement of support for uh, Dr. Ford a, a while ago, long before these accusations came out. But there are a lot of inconsistencies in her testimony. So I I don't really know. She won't give us details about the polygraph. She won't release the psychiatrist records, which could validate some of what she's said, but apparently it contradicts a lot of her testimony. And uh, there are a lot of other claims too that seem to be popping up. So uh, according to this ex-boyfriend, when he and Ford were in Hawaii, they would fly around in a propeller plane. So it's not just that she took a jetliner to Hawaii, the woman who had such a terrible fear of flying that she couldn't go anywhere. She uh, apparently took a little prop plane, this tiny little plane that, you know, if you're afraid of confined spaces, don't get in a prop plane. You can't, you know, you can barely move around in those things. Uh, then another, a huge one, so, because I, I got to tell you something. 
we've seen sworn testimony. We've seen public testimony be nonsense here, right? Avenatti's client, Julie Swetnick, is clearly a complete looney tune, but she's giving testimony. So I don't know, maybe the boyfriend is telling the truth. Maybe he isn't. I've got no less reason to believe him than I have to believe Christine Ford, that's for sure. And yet everybody, especially on the left, seems to be jumping to defend Ford and trying to brush off this ex-boyfriend's allegations. But you'll remember, uh, I think a really key part of the Ford testimony seems to be falling apart right now, not because of what the ex-boyfriend says, but because of what the Palo Alto government says. Do you remember she said that she, this whole thing came up, this whole alleged sexual assault came up because they were remodeling their house, Ford and her husband, and Ford wanted to put a second exterior door on the house because she needed an escape plan from this childhood trauma that she couldn't get past. And it was, it was all about that. So, uh, well, I'll let, I'll let her put it in her own words and then we'll see why her testimony is totally untrue. I had never told the details to anyone, the specific details, until May 2012 during a couple's counseling session. The reason this came up in counseling is that my husband and I had completed a very extensive, very long remodel of our home, and I insisted on a second front door, an idea that he and others disagreed with and could not understand. In explaining why I wanted a second front door, I began to describe the assault in detail. So two claims here. One, that the second front door in her house uh, was because she wanted an escape hatch to get out of there, because stemming from the psychological trauma of this alleged assault 36 years earlier. And two, that the second door became an issue in her marriage in 2012. And that's when they had a couple's counseling session about it. And that's when some description of some assault came up. Paul Sperry at Real Clear Investigations has debunked a lot of this. He showed that the permit to build an additional door in this house was not issued in 2012, but issued four years earlier on February 4th, 2008, four years before the therapy session, four years before this allegedly became a a problem in their marriage. And uh, those records show that the door was... uh, was not because she needed an escape hatch from this delayed psychological trauma, but because she wanted a separate entrance to her marriage counseling office. That's very different than saying, I need an escape hatch. If you're running a little business out of your house, to have a separate door makes perfect sense. You don't want people going into your foyer or your living room when they come into your office. Uh, Also, it's previously been reported that students from local colleges, Google interns, would stay in this extra room and they would have a a spare door to go out of, their own independent door when she was renting out the room. Okay. Now she's saying, actually, I mean, look, we know that Christine Ford's not great about dates. She doesn't know if it's 36 years ago, 35 years ago. Uh, She doesn't know if the session was four years ago or was six years ago, whether it was uh, 10 years ago, but that's a big discrepancy. Four years is a big discrepancy. And it's not just about the time. It's about the cause. She's saying it was caused by psychological trauma, made an issue about her marriage. What the building permits show and what the timeline shows is this was about a separate marriage counseling office and about renting it out to college kids and Google interns. So Christine Ford has told many untruths here, untruths about flying, untruths about traveling, untruths about where she was, 
certainly untruths about who was at this alleged party. We know this because she's changed her story between the Dianne Feinstein letter and the polygraph test and when she spoke before the Senate Judiciary Committee and when she talked to the therapist. She's told untruths about not only who was at the party but who was in the room at the time. And coincidentally, coincidentally, all of those varying truths always seem to trend in the direction of being unfalsifiable and of making Brett Kavanaugh's position indefensible making it such that he has no way to go back and say, this didn't happen. See, here's the proof. It all keeps changing. So is she a liar? I don't know. Is she telling untruths? Absolutely. And day by day, it seems that she's lying. That's uh, what it looks like. Before, by the way, we've got, uh, we've got the breaking news, by the way, and the evidence that Kavanaugh is innocent. Here's the best evidence we've got yet. Before we do that, I have got to thank a wonderful sponsor at Lending Club. You know, we're not only are we going to make a little money, honey, but you can get access to some money for those uh, repairs that come down last minute. Sometimes you need uh, some, some quick money to make, uh, for, for whatever reason, to pay off certain bills, to pay off high interest credit cards. A lot of times people will put, put uh, debt onto high interest credit cards. Don't fall for that trap. It is so much easier rather than paying 18, 19% interest on, or more on credit cards, pay uh, off those bills with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans, no trips to the bank, no high interest credit cards. Go to lendingclub.com. Tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you. If you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. That makes it pretty easy. It's the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over 35 billion, billion with a B, in loans issued. Don't be stupid about money. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish. If you got to spend some money now, make a repair, pay off some loans, do it and so that you're not paying more money in the long run. Go to LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-A-S. Check your rate in minutes. Borrow up to 40 grand. That is LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-A-S. LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-A-S. And make sure you budget in an extra $100 for that uh, Daily Wire subscription. <laughs> uh, that's, then maybe that's the most important use for your money in the short term. All loans made by WebBank, member FDIC equal housing lender, lendingclub.com slash Knowles. So the reason that I suspect that something even a little more than innocent untruths is going on is because they keep adding up. Regardless of whether this boyfriend is legit, between the travel, between the, the planning of building their house, between the timing of accusations, I'm just starting to think maybe there's something a little fishy going on here. The other reason I think this is because the left is moving on. If the left the New York Times, CNN, the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, if they really believed that these Christine Ford allegations were true, they'd be harping on them. Notice that they're not harping on them. They're talking about some party at Yale and his fraternity did something and he threw ice at a bar and uh, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, So on this point, the New York Times has a new scoop. This one just came out last night. It's breaking news. I don't know. Are you, make sure you're sitting down. If you're driving, pull over to the side of the road. This one is pretty shocking. It turns out that in high school, Brett Kavanaugh was a cool guy. This is the scoop. This is from the 1983, uh, a letter from Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, the New York Times reports, quote, one night during his senior year, according to classmates who witnessed it, Judge Kavanaugh triumphantly hoisted an empty beer keg above his head in recognition that he and his friends were well on their way to reaching their goal of polishing off, I don't even know if I can say it, 100 kegs during the academic year, an achievement they later boasted about in their yearbook. Oh my gosh, he probably smoked cigarettes too. He probably smoked cigarettes. Do we, are there, is there any breaking news on that yet? 
Did he ever, did he ever like eat too much candy on Halloween and then feel sick afterwards? That monster, that bad guy. I bet he jaywalked too, by the way. I don't want to make, I don't want to make uncorroborated accusations, but I bet one time when the, the red hand was on the sign, he crossed the street anyway, you sick monster. You can't, you don't have the temperament to be on the court. You had beer in high school. Nobody, does anybody have beer? Oh no, everybody has beer in high school. Never mind. I'm sorry. I guess I got that wrong. Every single person. <laughs> this is the best they got. They, this one makes the ice throwing at the bar in New Haven seem like, uh, I don't know, the Teapot Dome scandal. You know, I mean, it really, <laughs> this is really sad, guys. Uh, w- wonderful news for Brett Kavanaugh. Again, Cocaine Mitch seems to have been playing this pretty smart. I really think this vote should have happened two weeks ago, but every day that this has been going on, I really think it bodes well for Kavanaugh. Lindsey Graham yesterday suggested if they shoot down Kavanaugh, if uh, Jeff Flake, for instance, is signaling he might not vote for Kavanaugh because Jeff Flake is a despicable coward. They're going to change the, uh, the word quizzling in the dictionary. It's going to be flaking now. And, uh, coincidentally, I suppose that in a way that is sort of what flaking means. So all nature is but art unknown to thee. Um, if they do that, they should renominate him. It will be a red tsunami. It will be a red wave. We're going to pick up a lot of states. It's going to be beautiful. So, uh, either way, I guess that's a win-win. Uh, the Democrats are behaving in a really immoral way here. This is beyond just tough politics. I can forgive tough politics. I get it. It's not a big deal. But to ruin this guy's life, to, to say that, to, that we should not have any due process in America, that people should be presumed guilty until proven innocent, that is really wicked behavior. That's really immoral. And nobody is better at inverting morality and inverting virtue, I think, than Cory Booker in his weepy, weird press conferences. Here is Cory Booker talking about our moral moment. So my hope is that just beyond the vicious partisan rancor that is going on, beyond the accusations, we don't lose sight of what this moral moment is about in this country. And ultimately ask ourselves the question, is this the right person to sit on the highest court in the land for a lifetime appointment when their credibility has been challenged by intimates, people that knew the candidate well as a classmate? when his temperament has been revealed in an emotional moment where he used language that that frankly shocked a lot of us. And then ultimately, not whether he's innocent or guilty, this is not a trial, but ultimately, has enough questions be raised that we should not move on to another candidate. It's not about whether he's innocent or guilty. You heard Cory Booker say it. it Who cares if he's innocent or guilty? We don't like him, so we're going to ruin his life and call him a rapist. Cory Booker, by the way, who wrote an op-ed about how he groped a girl at a party when he was a young man, how he was groping her, how he actually did what Brett Kavanaugh apparently has been falsely accused of doing, what it seems that Brett Kavanaugh has been falsely accused of doing, Cory Booker actually did, and he goes out there with his earnest face and his warbly little earnest voice, and he says, we're in a moral moment, and that's why we need to destroy the innocent, regardless of their innocence, regardless of their guilt, we need to destroy people without any evidence, because I'm Cory Booker. He, and by 
by the way, I didn't notice this until now. I was just looking. When Cory Booker gets his really earnest face on, his eyes go a little googly. They go, one goes in a little bit in one direction, one goes in the other, presumably so one eye can watch CNN and the other eye can read the New York Times at the same time and get the ridiculous propaganda going into his head. This is despicable. Moral moment. He, I say this all the time, that the left uses language to mean the opposite of what it really means. What he, he's, he is describing moral behavior as running roughshod over people regardless of their guilt or innocence, regardless of what they do, and destroying their lives, destroying their career. And by the way, most importantly, undercutting our constitutional order, undercutting the right of a president to appoint judges. Elections have consequences. President Trump won the 2016 election. I know that Democrats still deny that that happened, but it did happen. And he has the right to pick jurists. American, by the way, the 2016 election was in many ways decided on the judges that President Trump would pick. I'd think if Antonin Scalia had not died uh, so close to the election, probably it, uh, President Trump would have had a much harder time winning that election. But he, he was elected largely to appoint these kinds of judges. And Cory Booker is saying what we need to do is destroy innocent people, destroy their lives based on nothing. And he even admits, I don't even care if they're guilty. I don't even care if they're guilty. And he calls that a moral moment. That is an immoral moment. A li- I know Cory Booker went to Yale Law School too. It's amazing how much of this circles around all those ice-throwing bars in New Haven. But uh, th- that, that is the moral question here. That is the, he's, he's twisting his language. To, to twisting what he, what his immoral behavior, the immoral behavior of Kamala Harris, of Dianne Feinstein, of, of the entire Democratic caucus, especially on the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's really, really bad. He, he's saying if enough questions are raised, then we should be able to ruin a man's life. Did Cory Booker uh, collaborate with the Nazis? Did he? I'm just asking questions. Did Cory Booker help uh, the, the fall of Rome. Did he hasten the fall of Rome by helping the various Goths and Visigoths <laughs> knock down the walls and come on over? Did, did, did that happen? Is that what, I don't know if that's what happened. I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. What do I know? Did Cory Booker blow up the Hindenburg? Hmm? I'm just asking questions. And uh, look, I don't, I don't know that Cory Booker called the, caused the fall of Rome. I don't know that Cory Booker collaborated with the Nazis, and I don't know whether or not he blew up the Hindenburg. But enough questions have been raised that I think at this point it is only right and fair for Cory Booker to resign his seat in the United States Senate. We have to move on. This is a moral moment. Okay, enough. How many questions have been raised? I just raised like three. How many other, I bet you guys are raising questions in the comments and on Twitter right now. There are a lot of questions. It's the only right thing to do is for Cory Booker to step down, to turn himself into the police, to serve a life sentence for collaborating with the Nazis. Questions. Questions have been raised. So that's their moment. And uh, I, I actually like this moral moment. One, because I get to make fun of Cory Booker. But two, because injustice, a feeling of injustice, is driving people in droves toward the GOP. Driving them in droves. This was the thought in 2016. The thought that Hillary Clinton could get away with what she did. You know, Richard Nixon lost the, resigned the presidency after he won a landslide election. He resigned the presidency because he deleted 11 minutes of tape. Hillary Clinton used a bleach bit to wipe entire servers, destroy years and years of federal records. What did those federal records show? I guess we'll never know because she deleted those records. And what did she face? What was her consequence for that? Nothing, nothing. And that injustice drove a lot of people to the polls. 
the judicial system, our system of justice, drove a lot of people to the polls because people felt that the Constitution wasn't being respected, that left-wing activist jurists were running roughshod over our founding document and the framework of our republic. Drove a lot of people to the polls. I think it's doing the exact same now. I think people are watching this Kavanaugh circus and they're saying, Cory Booker, are you out of your mind? No, it does matter if he's innocent or guilty. It does matter if people make accusations within statutes of limitations. It does matter if there's evidence, corroboration, or if people are contradicting themselves in testimony like Christine Ford. Justice does matter. So keep it up, man. Uh, you know, uh, Republicans are shooting way up in the polls in these swing states in seats that are, Senate seats that are being held by Democrats. Uh, that's happening in North Dakota. It's happening in Missouri. It's happening in Montana. It's happening in India. It's happening all over the place. So keep going, man. Keep talking about how it doesn't matter, guilt or innocence, this, this cynical question that we find all the way back in scripture, which is what is truth? Oh, what is truth? Fine. Keep asking it. We're going to, we're going to get that red wave in November. Alyssa Milano is demonstrating this beautifully. I love Alyssa Milano. She, uh, you know, she's been the craziest of the, of the anti-Kavanaugh people. She showed up to the hearing. I don't know why she showed up. Diane Feinstein invited her so that she could, she was sitting there at the hearing because she, she thought she was in a movie or something. There's Brett Kavanaugh up there and she's got her glasses down, holding up a believe all women's sign. She's staring daggers into the guy. The, the trouble for Alyssa Milano, just like the trouble for Democrats, is that the internet is forever and history is long. So I don't know who dug it up yesterday. Fleckus Talks, uh, Austin Fletcher sent, sent it over to me. Uh, there was a 2012 tweet that Alyssa Milano sent out. The tweet reads, quote, Bill Clinton, I love you so much, like crazy amounts of love. Alyssa Milano, hashtag believe all women, holding up the believe all women while she says Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist. He hasn't even actually been accused of rape other than by Avenatti's Looney Tune uh, client, but certainly hasn't been accused by rape of Dr. Ford or anybody. And, uh, she says, I believe all women, Kavanaugh has got to go down. I love Bill Clinton, like crazy amounts of love. Now let's not forget, for those of you who need a little refresher in history, Bill Clinton has been credibly accused of sexual assault. I know we bandy that word about a lot, but uh, talk about, if, if any accusations are credible, it's the ones against Bill Clinton. He's accused of rape by Juanita Broderick. He was accused of assault by Kathleen Willey, Leslie Milwee, and Paula Jones of exposing himself to her. Uh, this has gone on for years. It happened. The accusations came out much closer to the alleged events and they've stuck by their story for years and years and years. And in cases there were, there was corroborating evidence. And we know that his derelict sexual behavior in office came out because he was, uh, uh, having sexual relations with a 22 year old, 21 year old intern in the Oval Office while he was president. How do we know that? Because of that little blue dress. So, uh, talk about credible accusations there, uh, Alyssa Milano doesn't care. And this is my real issue with this. Because what the Kavanaugh circus is, is really about is Roe versus Wade. Is whether uh, we're going to have nine robed dictators on the court telling us how we're going to live our lives or whether we're going to leave that up to the American people. And whether certain states can have whatever they want and certain states can have other laws. And Roe versus Wade took that question of abortion out of the court of public opinion, out of the legislative process, out of the democratic process where it belongs. And we've been fighting about it ever since. It's where the Borking came from. It's where the torpedoing of Robert Bork's nomination came from. It's where Clarence Thomas's attacks came from. And it's where this Kavanaugh attack is coming from. I can acknowledge the political dimension of this. Democrats won't. They preen and they moralize and they get up on their soapbox and they say, we believe all women. You don't believe women. 
You just said you love Bill Clinton. He's been accused of sexual assault by multiple people for years and years and years. Say, oh, never mind, never mind. That's fine. Look, if you want to say uh, the policy is more important than the moral behavior of this one guy, fair enough point if you believe that. But don't get up there and tell me that I'm some immoral person because I think that people should be assumed innocent until proven guilty or that the questions of public policy like abortion should be left in the legislature where they belong or that there's no constitutional right to an abortion or that 30 allegations that were not made for 36 years where uh, there's no corroboration whatsoever even by the people the accuser names that maybe they're not totally credible don't get up there and moralize and call me a wicked person or a misogynist or whatever it's an outrage it just isn't true so then the question we have to bring ourselves to is why are we talking about sex so much why is there so much sex let's talk about sex baby we mentioned yesterday that rapist is the new racist. It's just the disgusting epithet that they throw at people that they don't like uh, when you're on the left. But part of the reason that we're so obsessed with sex, first of all, is a sexual revolution. Ever since the 1960s, people have just talked about sex a lot more. It's been much more public. People have uh, been much freer with sex, which is, uh, you know, uh, some people enjoy that for a certain time. Lord, make me chaste, but not yet, as St. Augustine once said. But it has really permeated all aspects of the culture. Uh, why else? Because it's scintillating. Sex has always been scintillating. There have always been sex scandals in politics. But I think most importantly, it's because the left lacks maturity. You know, they wear the hats of genitalia on their head. Every single line, every little joke, every argument they make is suck this and F that, do this, and screw that, and you know, it gets a little, their vocabulary is a little small. It's because they lack the maturity and the intellectual resources to discuss substantive disagreements. They do, there was that study from John Haidt a few years ago that said that the right basically understands the left, the left doesn't really understand the right very well at all. And I've always found this to be true. <laughs> I, you know, I was at this event with a bunch of lefties the other night in Hollywood. Uh, I don't think they understand our point of view. They can't articulate it. They have a very limited vocabulary. And so they only, they limit their vocabulary to like five words, all of which are scatological or gynecological or whatever, <laughs> genital. Um, and, and you see this now, especially in their PSAs. There have been versions of this before, but those kids, and by kids, I mean Scooter Braun and George Clooney and all the Hollywood elites who actually are behind it, the ones actually behind the March for Our Lives, the anti-gun group, they have a new PSA out telling people, uh, why they should vote. But, ooh, wait, there's a little twist. Ooh, are you ready? It's so clever. Here we go. My first time. I was nervous. My first time. I was in the back of a firehouse. I was in a church. It was amazing. My first time, everybody clapped afterwards. I mean, I, I didn't know how to, how, to, how to do it. Where to put it, you know, where to slide it in. There were so many options. Like, um... <laughs> You never know what it's going to be like when it actually, when you do it. So finally, I just, you know, I just went, just did it. I voted. My first time with a woman was 2016. It felt good, but it ended badly. You get it? It's about sex. You, oh, you thought it, you thought it was about sex. It's about, then it was about voting. It was about sex, now it's about voting. Ha 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 ha. So this is about the level of... <laughs> political discourse on the left. And uh, also just so sad, like, you know, the, that guy's, uh, you know, my first time with a woman was, dead, you know, he's wearing like the Democrat uniform. I don't know. He's kind of like doing a little pout and everything. It's uh, really sad. It's really, to, to borrow a phrase from our president, sad. 
not, uh, not the manliest display here. And masculinity does really play a role in all of this. We'll, uh, we'll get to that with Kanye West. We'll get to that beyond Kanye West. We'll get to that with uh, Ambassador John Bolton. It's something that a lot of people aren't talking about when they discuss the Trump phenomenon, what's going on with Kavanaugh, what's going on in our politics is manliness, masculinity, a bad word for a long time, coming back in style. We'll get into all of that, but first I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. If you're on dailywire.com, thank you very much. You help keep the lights on. You'll keep Kofefe in my cup. If you're on Facebook and YouTube, go to dailywire.com. You'll get me. You'll get the Andrew Clavin Show. you get the Ben Shapiro Show. you get to ask questions in the mailbag. you get to ask questions in the conversation. None of that matters. Mm-hmm. That's very good. This batch, this is uh, an upcoming vintage. Uh, this is the vintage for... Uh, after the election. We're going to release this vintage after the election. And we're serving it up from all of the people who are telling everyone to go out and vote. And then they're going to be shocked when they all vote for Republicans, when they all vote for Donald Trump. This is kind of a play. We knew the 2016 vintage was so popular. We wanted to release it again in 2018, but Kavanaugh better get confirmed for us to be able to release it. This coming Monday, October 8th, Daily Wire will be launching for subscribers only the next chapter in Andrew Clavin's podcast series, Another Kingdom, performed by little old me, Michael Knowles. If you aren't caught up on the first season, it will be available Friday, October 5th on dailywire.com and on Daily Wire's YouTube channel. And starting on Monday, October 8th, we'll be releasing a new episode from season two of Another Kingdom every Monday, but it's only for subscribers to the Daily Wire. Are you not a subscriber? What are you doing? If you want to watch the second season, you will have to wait until Fridays of every week beginning next week for each new episode of the second season. And if you're not a subscriber, you'll only be able to watch a few minutes of each episode. Only subscribers get the entire episode on Mondays and it's all ad free. This season is really cool. We've added this dramatic visual component to it. It enhances every aspect of Drew's incredible story and it's a really, really good story. Head on over to dailywire.com, click on the subscribe button at the top of the page and watch the first and second seasons of Another Kingdom. Go to dailywire.com and subscribe. So a lot of this, actually, this is sort of a tie-in with Another Kingdom. Another Kingdom explores themes of masculinity and what it means, masculinity and femininity. We're talking about sex, baby. This whole show's about sex. Uh, this whole two weeks, three weeks has been about sex. What, uh, what we saw in that commercial that I voted for the first time, blah, 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 is people say, I voted for a woman. Oh, it was so nice. It's this kind of meek, timid, tee-hee-hee. Oh, well, I'm really gentle. I'm okay. But where's the confidence? Where's the masculinity? Where's telling it like it is? A lot of this Trump moment is telling it like it is. It's a lot of kofefe. It's a lot of dragon energy. Who better to expound on this than Kanye West? He was sitting down with the head of TMZ, the head of TMZ, begging him, begging him to stop wearing that MAGA hat, that Donald Trump hat. Kanye West looks him right in his face and tells it like it is. Is there something you love about me? Yes, I would love it, Kanye, if you would not wear that hat. It would make me and a lot of other people feel better. In fact, why don't we say, please take off the hat, Kanye? How's that? It's not good. Ah, well, then I won't do it. Because you have a right to wear it. But exactly. I, but I, First but, Amendment, but, baby. But I First have, Amendment. But I, but As an American, I support our president. Bottom line, no matter who they are. 
As an American, I support our president. Now, I already told you what this represents for me. This represents y'all can't bully me. Y'all can't bully me. Because you can't tell me what to do because that's what people used to do. They would snatch your hat off. You have a, a starter cap and like a big a gangbanger come up and try to rip your hat off. And ain't nobody ripping my hat off again. So that's what it represents to me. It also represents for me masculine energy. This is exactly right. Again, I know we're living in the matrix because Lindsey Graham is the backbone of the GOP and Kanye West is the voice of reason, but he's exactly right. I love that at the beginning, that TMZ guy. He says, take it off. Please take off the hat. Please take off the hat. Kanye West says, mm, not going to take off that hat. Mm, not going to do it. Alyssa Milano sent out this tweet yesterday of Kanye dressed up like Trump with the Trump hair and everything. And it said, make Kanye Kanye again. M-K-K-A. I think she's missing another K. I think that third K is missing somewhere from her tweet because what she's saying is you are Kanye West. What does that mean you're Kanye West? You look a certain way, you talk a certain way, you behave a certain way, you work a certain way, you're in a certain industry. You can't be a Republican. You have to be a Democrat. This party owns you and you better kowtow to the party line. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He says later on in that interview, he says, I support our president, whoever it is. Now, I'm old enough to remember when he said George W. Bush doesn't care about black people, so I don't know that he always supported the president, no matter who it is. I think he especially supports Donald Trump. I think they're kindred spirits. I think they both have dragon energy. <laughs> and what does that mean? He spells out what it means. He said it's about masculinity. This, there's a masculine energy there, and that is, of course there is. That's why everything is becoming about sex here. That's why everything is becoming, Donald Trump is a, an abuser, because he, he only paid Stormy Daniels $150,000. He should have given her $200,000. And Kavanaugh is a rapist, even though he's never been accused of anything like that ever in his entire life. And this guy, and this, it's all about masculinity, because we are staring down the left right now, and they're saying, they're just nagging us to death. They're saying, well, please, I know it, my, maybe he's guilty, maybe he's innocent but you just have to withdraw him and you have to, and you have to, and you have to. And we're looking Cory Booker right in his quivering, bizarre, googly eyed face. And we're saying, no, you don't get to bully us into doing this. Not anymore. Sorry, buddy. But I really want you to take the hat off. Not going to, I'm wearing two hats now. I'm going to wear two hats. I'm going to wear a hat on my head. I'm going to wear a hat on each fist. I'm going to wear a hat on my kneecaps. You can't bully us anymore. And that is masculine. I, Harvey Mansfield wrote this great book about manliness a number of years ago. And masculinity is not just like knuckle dragging. Manliness is not just being some brute. To be a man is to be a gentleman too, holding the door. Uh, Harvey describes it very well in this book where he says, uh, the manliness is when you hold the door open for a woman and you tell her to pass through. And then when there's some robber in the room or some criminal is walking by, you look her in the face and you say, get out of my way. And you go and you fight the guy, you know, Th those are two sides of manliness. One is aggressive and strong. One is gentlemanly and chivalrous, but there are two sides of it. And for a long time, we've been told that masculinity is toxic. Masculinity is evil. It's bad. The future is feminine. Men are scum. Men are trash. These are hashtags that go around feminist Twitter. I'm not making this up. And what guys like all the way from Kanye West 
to Donald Trump, to John Bolton, to Brett Kavanaugh are saying is, no, you're not going to bully us. You're not going to push us around. And quivering lips and fake crocodile tears from the likes of Cory Booker and Dianne Feinstein aren't going to work anymore. You're not going to manipulate us. You're not going to twist our emotions to pervert justice, to pervert the meaning of language, and to pervert our constitutional republic. Just ain't going to happen. Sorry, buddy. And they can't take it. They haven't been, the Democrats have not been talked to this way in a very long time, but it's a beautiful thing. And that's virtuous. The Democrats virtue signal, but that's virtue. Virtue comes from veer, the Latin word veer, which is man. There's a manly component to virtue. It ties in with political correctness. It ties in with this innocent until proven guilty and not getting torpedoed for saying impolite words on a hidden camera, uh, for, uh, not believing one sex over the other, believe all women, don't believe any men, believe women by virtue of their being women, disbelieve men by virtue of their being men. It ties into policy to the United Nations, to Israel, to North Korea, to, to the trade deals, to the international criminal court. Uh, John Bolton summed this up beautifully the other day. Uh, you, you know, he was, he was asked, uh, he referred to the so-called state of Palestine. And uh, uh, he, he, some reporter said, well, isn't that offensive language? And he said, that's what it is. Palestine's not a state. You keep referring to it as a state, so it's a so-called state, but it's not a state. It doesn't meet the criteria of a state. It hasn't been recognized as a state ever. It's not a state. She said, oh, but, but it's offensive. No, it's true. Some, sometimes the truth is offensive. Sad. Sorry. Sorry. Get, get used to it. Uh, the, the international criminal, uh, the international court of justice rather at the United Nations right now is ordering the United States to lift its sanctions of Iran. You know, like the worst people on planet earth, they're saying the United States has to lift the sanctions on Iran. And do you know what the United States, if this were the Obama administration, they'd say, okay, we'll fly over three more airplanes full of cash. But because this is the Trump administration, because we have a little of that masculine Kanye energy, do you know what the United States said to the UN? For those of you who are only listening because you don't subscribe, I just made a Sicilian gesture where I put my four fingers under my chin and flicked it forward. That's what the United States is doing to the United Nations right now. So we don't care what you think. We don't care. Enforce your absurd and despicable and immoral rulings. Enforce your orders on the United States. Good luck, buddy. Uh, part of why the left is so angry right now is the humor of it all. Because we're, we're mocking them a little. We're mocking these people who say, isn't the state of Palestine, you know, to call it so-called, that's offensive. We say, why is it offensive? It's true. Do you remember during the 2016 campaign, one of the moments Trump won me over is when some, he referred to anchor babies and some reporter said, that's offensive. And he said, what's offensive? So you should call him future, future dreaming American dreamer citizen. And he said, yeah, I'm going to stick with anchor baby. That was very funny. We're mocking these silly notions. And th this is what president Trump did last night. He mocked the inconsistencies, the vague, and in many ways untrue in many instances, demonstrably false accusations being hurled at the 11th hour against Brett Kavanaugh. And it was hilarious. And the left is furious. Take it away. President Kofepe. What he's going through 36 years ago, this happened. I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was, nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. 
And a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. His wife is shattered. His daughters, who are beautiful, incredible young kids, they destroy people. They want to destroy people. These are really evil people. He's going, holding no punches back, and he's having fun while he's doing it. He's having fun while he's doing it, and they're so furious. What is he mocking here? He isn't, I, I, I just want to be very specific on where the comedy is here. He isn't mocking Ford's appearance. He isn't mocking the way that she speaks exactly. She, he isn't, you know, he got uh, in trouble because he mocked a reporter who it turned out had a disability and he kind of made him look spastic, even though the reporter's not spastic, even though Trump has done the same impression for plenty of other people that he just thinks aren't all that bright and that he disagrees with. But he got in trouble for that. That's not what he's mocking here. What he's mocking here is the flimsiness of the accusations, and he is exactly right to do it. He's, I mean, I've been doing it now for a few days, so I, I hope he's right to do it. Uh, these are so flimsy, and it's perfectly right to mock them. We should be ready to mock them much more. The left says, how dare you? How dare, that's toxic masculinity. You can't laugh. It's super serious. I don't care if he's innocent or guilty. It's super serious. We're saying, no, it's not. Calm down. You're being ridiculous. Shh. Shh. Stop it. Corey, stop it. Shh. You're being ridiculous. Sit down. Sit down right now. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I'm glad that we get to finally see that here. I think we should use humor a lot more. I think a lot of people are glad that in this culture where you've got the left totally addicted to outrage, purple hair, no, screaming, you know, furious, n- chasing Republicans to their homes, keeping their children up at night, forcing them out of restaurants, behaving like little punk thug children criminals, uh, that we can laugh at them. We're not going to take them seriously. We're not going to take them seriously. And we're not going to take inconsistent, flimsy, vague, constantly changing, last minute, 11th hour charges to derail a perfectly legitimate uh, Supreme Court nominee of hitherto unquestioned integrity and character. We're not going to take those seriously either. If you want to bring some serious allegations with any corroborating evidence, actually with any any evidence that do, it doesn't get counter corroborated, that doesn't get refuted immediately by the people you name, then maybe we can talk about it. But if you're going to bring us this flimsy nonsense, get out of here. What are you talking about? Get it. You don't get to do that. Maybe you get to do that in, in, old, in the old days. Not anymore. That's a beautiful thing. I will quickly mention, because all nature is but art un, unknown to the, on this day in history in 1995, O.J. Simpson was acquitted. Uh, he was acquitted of double murder. This was after a 252-day trial. It was kind of like the Kavanaugh hearings. It was all anybody in the country could talk about for a long time. Uh, And he was acquitted of murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, his wife, and uh, Ronald Goldman, her friend. So that justice was served, right? OJ got off. Justice was served. Not quite. There was a civil trial, and OJ was found liable in that civil trial. He had to pay out $33 million. Why do I bring this up? It's because justice isn't always clear. Justice, it, you know, it is. It was the criminal trial, was that justice? I don't know. Was the civil trial, was that justice? I don't know about that. Well, Tom Robinson in To Kill a Mockingbird was accused of raping Mayella Yule. Remember, do we believe all women in that case? Because it turns out he didn't rape her. He was a scapegoat because he was black. Do we, should we believe all women in that case? Believe Mayella. Believe Mrs. Yule, Ms. Yule. Okay, I don't think so. Social justice is not justice. Virtue signaling is not virtue. And you've got to be very precise about what's going on. Because I think on the left, I heard this the other night at this event in Hollywood, they're calling this guy a rapist. No, no serious person other than that Looney Tune from Abenati. Nobody is even 
coming close to accusing him of rape, but they are. They're saying it's so clear. It's so clear. All shallows are clear. All shallows are clear. And we should be very, very specific about uh, where the justice is, who the victim is in this case. Just take a quick look. This was on our campus recently. What happened to a group of students who were campaigning and demonstrating in support of Brett Kavanaugh, in support of due process, and against kangaroo courts. There's a kid at the very end there who's just, he flicks the camera around and he's like smiling because it's so ridiculous. And uh, so great on you, kid. Great for getting that on video. The, uh, this woman is filled with righteous indignation and virtue signaling. She's saying you're disrespecting survivors by suggesting that the accused have the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty, that they have the right to due process. This is how demagogues work. They take, you know, heresy is not the promotion of vice over virtue. It's the promotion of one virtue to the exclusion of the others. And that isn't virtue. When you come out and you say, I want to support victims of sexual assault. Yeah, of course. Who doesn't? We all do. But when you use that as an excuse to trample the rights of the accused, to trample good men, to destroy their lives. And when you do it, not because you believe women, not because Alyssa Milano believes Juanita Broderick, but because you just want to push your own petty political agenda. That is not virtue. That's the opposite of virtue. But all shallows are clear, and I hope that we can pay attention to how justice will be meted out in this case. All right, we ran late. We always do. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Make sure you get your mailbag questions in on Thursday. Get ready for another Kingdom on Friday. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.